reading is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tons of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the part of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Hello everyone, my name is Josh. I'm one of the leaders here at Christchurch and I want to welcome you again to our service here on YouTube today. Um, a special welcome to you if you're joining for the first time um, or if you're watching this back um, after it's been premiered. It's great to have you with us and uh, we are going to spend uh, some of our time now looking at that passage that Hikari has just read for us. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. If you're watching this live now, now might be a good time to um, get yourself a Bible, make sure you're settled in, able to um, give some attention as we go through this. So grab a Bible. I will be referring to the passage as always. Uh, we always encourage that. I want you to know that what I'm saying is here in the Bible. Um, and I'd love you to, to read along to make sure what I'm saying is true. So um, as you do that, let me just remind you that we're looking at the book of Acts in our series uh, from January onwards for quite a number of weeks. Uh, certainly we're starting in Acts chapters 1 to 6. And two weeks ago we had an overview of that section Last week, we began in the first chapter of the book of Acts, and we're seeing that life in the church is a new normal because, well, Jesus came, he lived, died, rose again. And once he's ascended into heaven and sent his spirit, well, everything changes. We're going to see more about that in today's sermon. So we're going to be thinking about how life in the church is a new normal. Hopefully, you've got your... Bible, cup of tea, drink, paper, pen, whatever you need, because we're going to start in Acts chapter 2 now. We're going to start, as always, by praying. Father, thank you that you have equipped your church with your word. And today we want to open up your word and hear what you have to say Father, the words you say to us must be beyond us and full of wisdom that we can't understand. So we do pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us and open up your word. And we do pray that whatever you say to us, we will have the humility to accept and obey. 
and the Your Spirit will help us to do that as well. So we want to commit this whole time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I haven't seen this for a little while, but you used to get in shop windows or restaurant windows a sign that used to say under new management. Of course, the sign was there because on the face of it, you might walk past the shop and think all is normal. It might have the same, uh, the same name, the same shop front, if it's a restaurant, the same table and chairs, and even the same staff. But these signs would say under new management because they want you to know that even if on the outside it's the same name, the same people, behind the scenes, there's been a profound change and it's changed the way the whole thing works. Well, under new management is one of the big themes we've seen in the news this week with the inauguration of Joe Biden as the president of the US, which we've just been hearing all about, haven't we, since November, since the election, with all the crazy fallout and everything that's happened. But this week has been the week where finally they've put the, the seal of approval he's been sworn in, and America can now hang up the signs that say, under new management. Now, a little caveat. This isn't actually full on live. This has been recorded on Wednesday, um, and you know, things go a bit crazy sometimes. So I'm assuming that's happened because on Wednesday today, I'm assuming that will have happened by the time you watch this, but who knows? But I'm going ahead and assuming that when you're watching this, you can look back on a successful inauguration of Joe Biden and America can hang up the signs that say under new management. Uh, just like with a shop, much might be actually the same on the outside because America is full of the same people today as they were a week ago. They've still got the same schools and the same factories and the same fields and mountains and weather, and they've still got the same enemies. But whatever you're feeling about Joe Biden, you will definitely get the sense that there is someone in their midst now who is looking to lead and empower a transformation of what was old. And many people are hoping that this transformation, the new management, looking to the one leader to empower this, well, they're hoping that will bring unity and healing and good. And they're looking to the new management to make this group of people what they always feel they should be. Now, that same theme of being under new management is behind today's passage in Acts chapter 2. The, the, the players in this passage are the same people we've seen before. The, the people who are going to be involved are the disciples, who are the same disciples who are right there back in Jesus, uh, the start of Jesus' ministry. The same disciples we saw in chapter 1. They're in the same city. They're in Jerusalem. And we're going to meet a crowd, and that's probably the same crowd who's gathered there before, the same crowd who were there when Jesus was crucified. If we were to set the scene on this chapter, all looks the same. But we're going to see that Jesus will send a person into their midst who will transform and empower and equip them, new management to change everything, to make the followers of Jesus into a church and to make the church into the church he wants it to be. And when that happens, well, it's a whole new normal. See, in this passage, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and he breathes life, quite literally, into the church to do amazing things in the world. And for, for you and I, for us as Christ Church Liverpool, if we truly are Christ's church, 
Well, then we're going to need to look at Acts to see how being under new management of the Holy Spirit is everything for how we think and act today. So let's have a look down at the passage together. The key event that happens in this passage happens in verses 1 to 4. And the lesson we'll see is that God's presence changes everything. God's presence changes everything. So let me read Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 for us again. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What's going on here is a truly stupendous event. It is truly momentous. It is an event like no other. I don't want you to think that what we've got here is a curious miracle about tongues and languages that we're here to kind of pick apart and, and ponder on. Now we've got here the record of a ground-shaking event that was to change the course of human history forever. In our lives, we get to experience just a handful of occasions in our lifetime where we can look back and realise that that was a momentous event. The kind of events that you remember where you were when you heard about them. The kind of events that people talk about for the rest of your life and even into new generations. In my lifetime, the Berlin Wall was brought down. And I distinctly remember the 9-11 happening and how that changed the world. And it's crazy to think that, well, actually, even now, we are in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of a, an event that people are going to be talking about throughout the rest of our generation. Things are not going to be the same again. Sometimes in our lives, we live through these, these hinge moments that change the course of history. And there's not many of them in our life. We just get these little once-in-a-lifetime moments. But, you know, here in Acts chapter 2, this is a once-in-ever moment. Not just in the history of the church, but in the whole history of the, the human life. And here's why. God and humans have only ever lived closely and in an intimacy back in the Garden of Eden, way back before the very first humans ever rebelled against God, but never since. It's because of the fact of that rebellion. And it's always proved a separation. And so as you look through the history of humankind, whenever God has made his presence known with people, well, it's always been in, in a terrifying symbol of fire, unapproachable and dangerous, and cloud and storm and wind. God in the Old Testament was with his people, but in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And that was one stage of their history. And then later on, the pillar of uh, then the cloud of fire settled and descended into the temple, the, into the most holy and most sacred 
and most inaccessible place in the temple. And yet here, in Acts chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, this is a momentous reversal of, of human history from the Garden of Eden until now. The violent wind comes in to the room from heaven, and what seem like tongues, or I guess that the word describes what would be a mini column, mini, mini pillar of fire, separate. Separate from what? Well, clearly it's thinking that they were all together at some point. Could this be God's very presence? God's glorious presence, untouchable, but actually coming in here with them. The tongues separate so far, we've only seen them together as one big pillar of fire, but now God's presence separates out. He doesn't live in the temple anymore, he separates out to live on people. This is momentous. This is an event like no other. This is the closest humankind have ever come since the Garden of Eden to that individual closeness, the intimacy with God. As of here, there can be no pilgrimage to a temple to try and meet with God. There's never anymore any inner sanctuary, a place that you can't access God, because here God is going out and he's going out into his people. The holy, the awesome, the mighty God is pouring himself, not into one fixed place for the world to come into, but into his people for them to go out. Now, now these external events of Pentecost, the, the fire and the wind, they are unique. And we wouldn't expect to see those every week in our church or over Zoom in our connect groups. But being filled with the Holy Spirit in that way, God coming in his presence to dwell in our lives by his Holy Spirit, well, the book of Acts shows that that is now the norm. That's the norm for anyone who is a Christian. So if you're a Christian, the new normal for you is that God lives in you by his Spirit. That's a profound spiritual truth. It's unlike anything else. So I hope you see that this in Acts 2 is a staggering moment. It changes everything. Here's some things that it changes. It means that all Christians now do not need to meet to gather together in a temple to know God's presence. Or we don't have in a church building a particular room that's a sanctuary of God's presence. Now, if you go to Christchurch and you meet with us in a school hall, you'll probably know that already. But don't you think that when you live through a lockdown and all of the isolation that brings, we can be so worn down that we can start imagining that being back in a place would give us much more of a sense of God's presence. But if this is true, then you know, God is intimately with you at home, at your dinner table, in, in your sofa. He is with you, dwelling, living in you. That means that we can all rejoice that we've got this personal access to God that's unparalleled, 
since sin entered the world. And this is the effect of Jesus dealing with sin. That's why, as Christians, we can relish the coming of the Holy Spirit as part of the gospel, the good news that we hold to be true, that we love and believe and hope in. This is part of it. This is what we, why we talk about Jesus' death is because, well, it dealt with that reality of sin that always gave the separation from God. And we talk about Jesus' resurrection because there he defeated death and everything that sin brought into the world. But that means it's also part of that good news story that because of what Jesus has achieved, well, then God comes to live closely, freely and accessibly to us. We know him present by his spirit. So please, let's be confident of this and pursue that intimacy with God. Don't ignore him with you. Pursue that intimacy with God through prayer. Speak to him because well, he's, he's there and he will help you speak to him. And meditate on his word, the Bible, so that you can listen to him speak because he's there. He's close. He is with us. And take every opportunity you get to remind other people of this because he's with us. So don't ignore that. Remind each other, tell each other. God's presence in his people and in his church is, is amazing. It changes everything. So rejoice that this is, this is part of the gospel story that, that we love. But another way it changes everything is, well, it sets a brand new normal for church life. Because now the Spirit of God is with us, God changes everything. We're under new management. And so church doesn't become a new temple where God comes to sit in and we just go and invite people in to come and see God in here where we are. The new normal with God's Spirit is that God goes out. And he goes out in his people. And in fact, that is why Jesus sent his Holy Spirit in the first place. To empower Christians for going out. To take the Spirit of God with us. Because as we looked at last week, the priority of the church is reaching countries. With the witness about what we know about Jesus and proofs of his resurrection. That's what Jesus said last week uh, in Acts chapter 1. Verse 8, you will receive power. And the power comes when the Holy Spirit comes on you. But when that happens, you will be my witnesses. And you go out to Jerusalem and further, all Judea and Samaria, and further to the ends of the earth. And that's really what the rest of the passage starts to show. Yes, God's presence changes everything. And that's so that God's wonders go to everyone. God's wonders go to everyone. So I think it is really important that we, that we do savour the truth of God's Spirit with us and that we pursue intimacy with God through his Spirit. But Act 2 won't let us imagine that doing that is purely for our own good. Because as soon as Jesus' followers are filled with the Spirit in verse 4, the Spirit makes it clear that Jesus' priority for the church to reach the ends of the earth with witness, well, that priority is still on. 
because with no other explanation, they just start speaking, verse 4, they start speaking in other, other languages. Luke tells the, the following events by stating the same thing twice. First, he narrates it, and then he tells it through the words of the crowd who experience it. So look at verses 5 and 6. Luke's going to narrate it. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the languages, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So here, Luke is telling us that all nations under heaven hear their own language spoken. Then he tells us it again, but from the crowd's point of view, look at verses 8 to 11. The crowds are amazed and they say, how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So all of those nations, which is incidentally a deliberately cumbersome list, it's designed so that it includes nations from, from the, the, the east and then the north and the northeast and northwest and then the southwest and then the south, indicating really that there's no one left out. In every direction, the Spirit of God is going to go out and speak. All of those nations, they hear, verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So Luke says, and then the crowd say, all nations hear the wonders of God spoken in their own language. And Luke is showing us that that happens because, well, the new normal in the spirit-filled church is that we're under new management and the spirit's power turns Christians outwards. The Spirit fills the church so that they look outwards and start speaking the wonders of God. So does that mean that a Spirit-filled church always speaks in tongues? Well, it's worth briefly making this part of it clear, because later in the New Testament, we hear that one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives the church is the ability to speak in tongues. But when it talks about it later in the Bible, it always requires a tongue a language, to have an interpretation as well. Because that's assuming that either the language that is spoken on that occasion is not an earthly language, or if it is, it certainly won't be understood by anyone. So you need an additional spiritual gift of interpretation. But that's certainly not what's going on in here in Acts 2, because Luke makes it clear three times that the languages are understood by the hearers. So we're not being told here that a spirit-filled church must be filled with the types of tongues that the Spirit uh, talks about or that the Bible talks about elsewhere. So what is it? So is it the spirit-filled church is always filled with the supernatural ability to speak of the languages? Well, not really, because you know, this, we never see this happen again in any other church in Acts. So we can take it that this event, this Spirit-filled church speaking in languages, that's unique. And that's not repeated in our church today. But there is a pattern here that does stick. The Holy Spirit 
may not give every church and every Christian the ability to speak languages, but he does, without fail, give power to every church and every Christian to take news about Jesus across barriers, across the divides of culture, language, and generation, and even across the divide of class. Notice that the first response of the crowd in verse 7 is to flag up that something's amazing, uh, something amazing is happening despite it being via Galileans. Now that's not a slur on their race or their heritage, it's more about their class. We know from uh, other uh, parts of the Bible and other documents that Galileans had quite a thick accent. They sounded a little bit thick and if they weren't from this classy and pious and university-educated metropolis of Jerusalem, well, they were probably country bumpkins and a little bit odd in the head. But when God's spirit comes on the church, that doesn't matter. His power breaks the barrier of class and of background and race and culture because Pentecost shows us that God is with his church in power so that the message of his wonders go from anyone to everyone. God is with his church in power so that the message of his wonders can go from anyone to everyone. And that's, that's the pattern that sticks. That's what's always true in a spirit-filled church. Under new management isn't always going to mean fire and wind, but it will always mean God's presence profoundly and powerfully with us. Something we can rejoice in as a blessing that changes everything. And under new management won't always mean a supernatural ability to speak other languages, but it will always mean power to speak the wonders of God, anyone to everyone. Can I encourage you that we have seen this in our own context in Liverpool? When we plant churches, we often send people to reach others who are totally unlike them. To reach areas of our city that, where people are from completely different backgrounds, different races, and even in areas where there's different languages spoken. How is that even going to work? How can people like us reach people like them? How can we send people to reach a Somali migrant community when we don't know the first thing about their culture? How would you know what to say to a heroin addict with schizophrenia when I've never ever stepped foot in his world? But you know, we've heard testimonies of the Holy Spirit who equips his witnesses and enables that good news of Jesus to be heard in brand new contexts, to be understood and to bring people to faith. Now that's not fundamentally because we've trained those people well. It's not fundamentally because people who plant churches and go off on church plants, well, they're just better communicators and they're up for that kind of thing. No, it's because we're all sent with power. The power of the Holy Spirit to cross the barriers, cross the divides with stories of Jesus' work in our lives. It's, it's brilliant, and I love this passage, and I love what it says, but if, if you're anything like me, you'll sometimes be frustrated that 
What we read here seems to make sense in theory, but I get discouraged if this isn't my experience in practice. Well, if you're anything like that, uh, can I suggest three things that I think we ought to be really getting down serious about doing? Pray here, draw near, go far. So pray here. We do believe that God's Spirit lives in us as soon as we become Christians, but the Bible often includes Christians praying for God's Spirit to, to fill them. So I take it that there is a sense in which God's Spirit can both be in us and yet we can live a spiritless life. I suppose that makes sense that someone can be very close to you, with you, but you, can, you could ignore them. Because we can be just so out of tune with him, with habits and disciplines that really don't mean that we don't really pay much attention to what he's saying to us. We might wonder if we need to be filled with the Spirit in a new way, but we do believe we do have the Spirit. But you know, God's Spirit's not a commodity that we download and then click to work. God's Spirit is a person. And he can be with us, and yet his power and influence continually fill us more and more the more we are seeking him. The more we are listening to him, the more we're meditating on him, the more we're we're taking everything he says to heart and the more we're living in obedience to his word. Prayer is key to that. Pray here. What I'm saying is order your days and evenings and your nights around prayer. Commit to that. Pray whenever. Pray always. Pray wherever. Pray here. Pray with others. Pray alone. But seek God and seek his spirit and pray earnestly to be filled up with the spirit so that you can know and rejoice in God. Pray here, secondly, draw near. Because the Spirit's work in the Bible is not only just to kind of send out uh, people who can't stop talking, but actually his work is also to draw us near. So can I encourage you to, to listen to the Spirit's prompting so that you dwell on the really, really, really good stuff. Dwell on the gospel. Meditate on, think about what Jesus has done for you. Let the Spirit prompt you to be real about your sin and to confess it. Let him prompt you to look to Jesus' work on the cross. And let the Spirit show you that when you look to Jesus and depend on the cross, well, there is abundant peace and deep joy available. So you can know, know Jesus as Lord and God as your Father. Draw near. And thirdly, go far. Now this is one that just logically makes sense. If the Spirit, we're saying, gives power so that people can take God's wonders to everyone, well then it's little wonder that you're not deeply experiencing the Spirit's power if you're not taking God's wonders to everyone. So think, are there people that are unlike you who you can go out to reach with the gospel. Now, it's tempting to think now that COVID and lockdown have put up this big barrier to doing this. And, you know, of course, we do need to be responsible. We know we need to limit our contact with others. So has this now become impossible? Well, <laughs> that's brilliant. Doesn't that mean now that we need extraordinary help? Doesn't that mean that now more than ever, we do need to lean on the power of someone who can cross those barriers. 
now more than ever, we need to turn to the Holy Spirit in deep dependence to rely on his creativity and, and his wisdom and his insight and his sovereignty and his power to bring about new opportunities, safe opportunities, that we may never have thought we'd have and may never have had otherwise. If you neglect to pray here, draw near and, and go far, well, I can't say that Acts gives us any pattern of a prayerless, inward-looking church ever growing in God's purpose as a church who reaches the nations in the Spirit's power. But imagine if this profound truth of God's presence being with us changed everything. Imagine we were putting up the sign saying under new management that nothing was ever the same again. We don't have to imagine it because he is with us. And the Spirit does send us out in power. There's no doubting that. So be confident. Go ahead, pray here. Draw near in the joy of the gospel, but then go far because we've got to share God's wonders with everyone.